Hello, I'm Kelly Lenvoy. Welcome to a new episode of Arthritis at Home. Today we're joined by ACES founder and president, Cheryl Cohen. She's gonna walk us through the results of the first of four national surveys that ACE is conducting in 2021. Um, looking at key issues that affect our community. And the first one out of the gate was on virtual care. And by virtual care, um, we're referring to the delivery of healthcare information and services via electronic methods, uh, like a video conference, a smartphone, text, email, or even telephone. And um, ACE, um, conducted this first survey in January and February of this year, and the results were just launched in, uh, in April. And Cheryl, you're going to walk us through some of these results and uh, let us know, I guess, what, uh, what the objectives are going into it, and what did we find out? The reason for uh, conducting the survey, I think, is pretty obvious to the audience. Um, if, in fact, you have some type of arthritis or are a patient in the healthcare system in general, that in March of last year, um, the healthcare system basically closed its doors and said, You can't come here in person for your own safety. So, a year later, we really wanted to find out, um, Kelly what people were experiencing in terms of virtual care being offered to them pre-pandemic, ask them some very pointed questions about uh, what types of services they may have been offered or accessed during the pandemic. And then we asked them uh, what they might like to have offered to them through the healthcare system in terms of uh, future uh, virtual care offerings the infographic has all of the sort of key takeaways um, from the survey. So uh, right off the top, for those of you who are familiar with how community-based or community-led research is presented, it's a really nice way to transfer knowledge um, from the respondents out to the broader community. And when you're looking at a survey, of course, it's really important to know who took the survey. So we had just over uh, 250 respondents, four out of five were women. I think uh, our audience uh, knows, certainly you do, Kelly, that um, women are disproportionately affected by many types of arthritis. Um, in this particular respondent pool, we had a very high response rate from rheumatoid arthritis, it's RA, at nearly 50%. <clears throat> Osteoarthritis, which is the most common type of arthritis at 20%, lupus, um, psoriatic arthritis, and ankylosing spondylitis, uh, making up about 12% um, of, of the respondents. And when we looked at how long they've been living with their disease, uh, we can see a nice uh, blend here uh, across the uh, sort of time spectrum we had um, a little over a third who've been living with disease for fewer than five years. So that generally in arthritis means a younger or a less experienced um, cohort of individuals. And about 13% six to 10 years. But I would say by and large, when we talk about the respondents to our virtual care survey, we're talking about people who have lots of lived experience um, with these types of arthritis. And, and a special what, thanks, a special thanks to those 250. Exactly. 
Exactly. And oh, by the way, here, it's important to note that we had a pretty good, robust, um, pretty robust response from our French community uh, and uh, primarily coming uh, from Quebec and a nice smattering geographically of uh, English, English uh, language respondents across Canada. We wanted to know um, what people, what was happening in terms of virtual care for them pre, during, and post COVID. And you can see here, Kelly, that six out of 10 out of respondents access some form of virtual care. And when you look at the deeper data, the question actually asked them to specify whether it was a rheumatologist, a family doctor, an occupational or a physiotherapist, or some other type of healthcare professional um, be services being offered through the public healthcare system. Um, when you, we go, when we move over and we consider this number and we think about during COVID, nine out of 10, so virtually 100% of our respondents reported that they use some form of virtual care. And when you crunch the numbers, it means it's about a 50% increase. So huge, as you alluded at the beginning, Kelly, a huge increase in, in utilization of uh, some form of virtual care. If you go back to the pre-COVID uh, and, we, and we ask a bit, uh, uh, we do, sort of dive a bit deeper and tease the data apart, you'll see that 44%, so almost half, used a form of virtual care to see their family physician. So this number really surprised um, our data analysts. And frankly, it surprised me, I guess, as someone who uh, views their rheumatologist as the quarterback of their care, um, along with myself, I was surprised to see how quickly family practice pivoted to virtual care service offering. And then 36% uh, use some form to see their rheumatologist. So there are provinces, Kelly, in Canada that before COVID were already offering virtual care services. During COVID, as we said here, uh, nine out of 10 use some form, which was a 50% increase. And if you see what physicians um, were part of that number, 73% during COVID used a form of virtual care to see their family physician. So again, a significant increase. Uh, also an increase uh, to see their rheumatologist, but not as great as the increase here to see a family physician. When we went to, when we asked our respondents, Kelly, what they thought would be useful or helpful or valuable to them in a post-COVID world. And we know eventually we're gonna to get to a post-COVID world, thinking positively. 66% of our respondents, uh, so the majority want both virtual and in-person healthcare services. So they don't wanna give up uh, in in-person healthcare services for the obvious reasons. Um, you know, we, we need to go in and have uh, um, tests done. We need to go in and have a physical exam. We need to have our ear, nose, chest, throat, you know, heart, listened to, touched, palpated, uh, at least regularly for just general health checkup. So this isn't surprising that people still want in-person healthcare services. But what was really um, interesting was how much more uh, uh, people wanted 
um, to receive virtual care from their rheumatologists and family physicians compared to how they were originally receiving that care, which is this number here. So just to finish up here, 36% increase in patients wanting to receive some form of virtual care from a rheumatologist or their family physician compared to how they were originally receiving it. So that tells you, Kelly, that as you indicated or, or mentioned at the beginning, you know, there are things we can do in our healthcare system to bring about efficiency, not just for the healthcare system, but for the patient themselves. There is no reason I need to drive 20 kilometers or 10 kilometers, or for some people in our country, they travel hundreds of kilometers in order to access a rheumatologist or a family physician where that sort of business, if for lack of a better way of putting it, can be dealt with via this, this type of vehicle through video conference. And we know um, for our patients with IA, with inflammatory arthritis, um, traveling and mobility is often an issue. Well, so, or, or with osteoarthritis, even yeah. in one bad joint, if you, you can't ambulate, if your knee is really has very severe advanced osteoarthritis or your hip, it is just as impactful, I would argue, as, as inflammatory arthritis. What strikes me here, Cheryl, is that the timing of the survey, which occurred in the new year, meant people had about seven or eight months experience. That's right. That's that they right. had just started during COVID. So what that demonstrates is a pretty strong level of satisfaction with that experience. So to your point, Kelly, about satisfaction, or the actual virtual care experience over this last 12 month period, we wanted to find out, kind of ask a few questions about three uh, sort of areas, timeliness, satisfaction levels, both in-person and virtual during the pandemic, but also what challenges people were facing because it's this piece here um, that healthcare systems really need to address. So in terms of timeliness, um, what we found out was that co collectively 15% uh, couldn't get any in-person healthcare services over the period of the pandemic. And 5% were not able to get any virtual healthcare services. So, you know, a full 20% of people were not getting the kind of healthcare service either by in-person or virtual care services um, that they felt they needed. And then about a third of respondents reported, um, so one or the other, and then a third of the respondents reported that they were unable to receive either in-person uh, virtual arthritis specific healthcare services. Um, so in-person, pardon me, or virtual at the time they felt they needed them since March, 2020. What really strikes me about this finding Kelly is that the majority of our respondents are people very experienced at living mm -hmm. with their arthritis. Mm -hmm. So that tells you that even those people who are really generally speaking, good at self-management, good at self-care, needed healthcare services during the period uh, of the pandemic, these last sort of 12 months, uh, uh, 12 months, pardon me, they needed healthcare services and couldn't get it, couldn't get them to their satisfaction, at least in a timely manner. So that really is a clue for our healthcare system, administrators, for our practitioners and for patients ourselves, 
that timeliness is an issue when it comes to um, trying to get healthcare services when you're, now we're not always gonna be in a pandemic, but I would argue this number probably is not that different if you were to ask them post pandemic, right? In terms of satisfaction levels of um, in-person services uh, and virtual services during the pandemic, um, what, or pardon me, looking forward, what patients like the most about in-person appointments, um, this is not going away, particularly for inflammatory arthritis patients, that they need in-person visits for things like full or partial joint examinations, um, a joint aspiration, uh, a, you know, a detailed medication review. If someone doesn't feel comfortable having that conversation over the telephone or even through a video conference facility, um, there is something that doesn't beat face-to-face -face interaction um, uh, with your healthcare team. And it's that immediate feedback loop it's the action, you know, if someone says, yeah, but now my back hurts, not just this, you know, my hip or my knee, an immediate exam can be made of the back. Um, and I mentioned medication review. These things sometimes take a detailed conversation where actually being in the room makes a difference in terms of your satisfaction level of communication. Virtual care satisfaction levels, um, you know, people were saying that they, that they were, um, they were satisfied actually sharing their concerns in a virtual manner, Kelly, there, whether it was telephone or uh, through a video conference, and they were comfortable getting advice from their healthcare providers. So these two uh, can live, these two data points can live certainly separately. You can have a group of people who say, well, geez, you know, I want that in-person experience. But a large number of our respondents said, Things about advice getting and direction, you know, setting, goal setting, perhaps things of that nature, where they were comfortable doing it uh, virtually. And we wanted to find out some very specific reasons why people uh, liked virtual care. And the top uh, choice, the, the, we gave them a number of choices, and those that were chosen more frequently were these four. So clearly not having to travel um, is a big bonus. Not at risk of getting COVID. Clearly people were very concerned about their own personal safety uh, as, were ev as was everyone out in the, in the population, whether you're a patient in the care system uh, currently or not. Um, they actually felt Kelly that they could get appointments with their healthcare providers more quickly, which is really interesting. Anecdotally on this point, um, as you know, we, we do our work in partnership with the rheumatology community and there are a number of um, our, our expert advisors, clinicians, rheumatologists, who said that the virtual care appointments early on in the pandemic were taking more time than an in-person visit. Why is that? We don't know, but I think it's a really interesting question to probe our, our um, audience, our, you know, our patient peer audience on, as well as to ask rheumatologists why they felt these appointments were taking um, longer. Maybe that was only true in the early stages of the pandemic and as people got used to using it, they got more efficient with the time uh, usage. And then finally, um, people felt more comfortable 
sharing their health concerns virtually, Kelly, versus in person. Why is that? Is it because I'm sitting here in my kitchen and I feel, you know, safer? Uh, I feel less inhibited because the provider's not sitting right there in front of me? Does the provider, is there something about that care provider patient hierarchy that levels out in a virtual format? We don't know the answers, but we'd actually, I'd love to say to our viewers of arthritis at home to write us. Uh, I'd, we'd be very curious to know that. Um, and you can provide your feedback at feedback at jointhealth.org. Um, I just want to uh, close off here, Kelly, with the tour of the info virtual care infographic um, with uh, highlighting the challenges. And these are really important because, again, um, you know, it's virtual care is not a panacea, and that's not the message we're trying to send here by presenting these results. We're trying to say that it's certainly a really viable option, was well exercised during the pandemic. And as we slowly emerge out of the pandemic, absolutely should be planned for it as an option for patients at different points in their care journey. Um, but there are people who had trouble with it. 15% of the respondents of this survey um, didn't own a smartphone. So they actually got wind of this survey and shared a device um, and they didn't own a, a computer. So. You know, there were people who responded to the survey who didn't have a smartphone, didn't have a computer, and they used, you know, someone else's or someone else answered on their behalf. But that's, you know, it's nearly a quarter of the respondents. So that's important. 16% face difficulties using or receiving virtual care services because they simply didn't feel comfortable or didn't understand how to use the virtual care technology. This is a really big issue in our rem rural remote communities is, is quality broadband. Um, and, and this isn't one necessarily that the healthcare system can fix, but healthcare system uh, leadership has to work with telecom providers, with uh, you know, digital technology service providers um, to, to make this, to overcome this challenge. This isn't a challenge a patient should overcome or need to be facing. It's a challenge uh, for uh, folks who, you know, have a higher pay grade than me, that's for sure. Um, cost of electronics, language is critical. We know that there is inequity in healthcare services and in the healthcare system. We know this. It's been a big focus of work at ACE. And in fact, uh, in another couple of weeks, Kelly, I'm reminded that we'll be publishing subset analysis on, in, on the inequity questions that we asked in the survey. So I didn't want to forget to mention that. Um, but language is a big barrier and things like hearing impairment issues. Um, it, you know, people who are, are visually challenged, blind, um, how, you know, how do people navigate these things? Uh, is, the, is the technology being responsive or is it, are these questions being put forward um, by healthcare system administrators to these care, uh, virtual care platform providers, are they working all of these things out? These are critical questions for patients um, uh, to, to know the answers to. I, I think only then will we have real um, um, sort of understanding and, and about the virtual care experience. I really encourage people to read the Joint Health Insight 
um, that was published last Monday. Um, it, it goes into much greater detail around, um, around the findings. So there you go. Uh, and we'll have links at the end here uh, directly to, to the survey and to the Joint Health Insight. What does ACE do with these results? Oh, great question. Um, so this isn't just uh, an exercise in delivering a survey and you know writing up a newsletter. One of the things that ACE has done since the day it founded was to take the experience uh, of the people who work at ACE or people living with arthritis to join them with our the void the broader community voice, which is gathered through our certain national survey program, Kelly to roll these data up, these are legitimate, statistically significant data collected through community-based research practices. These types of data are critical for government, provincial governments, who shape the policy that delivers our healthcare. So as you know, because you lead this area of work for ACE, uh, we are now um, packaging these results up using the infographic, uh, uh, with a nice cover letter on it. And we are beginning the hard long process of uh, emailing, writing, speaking to, and presenting these results to provincial governments across the country to ensure that as they talk about policy development, policy enhancement, uh, brand new policy related to virtual care services, the voice of arthritis is present at the table. I think before we say goodbye, um... Maybe we can do a quick plug for our current survey. That's a good idea. And I'm gonna slide an extra one in there. First, I'll deal with some acknowledgements for our virtual care survey. We wanna thank Eric Sayer, who's a data analyst um, over at Arthritis Research Canada, who is our scientific partner. Um, we uh, are so lucky uh, to have um, ARC, as, as they are affectionately known, um, as our partner in science. They help us do some of the heavy lifting with data analysis to ensure that we are presenting these data in a true uh, and um, meaningful way. Um, also want to acknowledge uh, everyone who worked on this survey, including yourself, uh, Ananita Chan, our program manager, and Amaya Joshi, who is our um, program coordinator. We do have our second national survey out in the field right now. It's open until the end of this weekend. So it, it officially closes uh, Friday, uh, April 30th, but we leave it open through the weekend. So you have basically until um, the, the end of uh, the, e the evening of the 2nd of May. And that's um, a survey about what? At reimbursement access to arthritis medications. So it's super, super important. Again, it's the voices of, it's these respondents um, who share their views with us that go on uh, to help payers, both private and public, understand what our needs are and whether or not uh, policies or current uh, reimbursement um, practices are, are meeting those needs. Thanks again for joining us. We look forward to seeing you on another episode of Arthritis at Home.